Hello and welcome to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. This is a show that explores the landscape of the nonprofit organization, big and small, offers some incredibly helpful information and resources, and gives nonprofits a place to share ideas and get advice. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Our show is sponsored by Sukup Strategic Solutions, offering a wide variety of services to help nonprofits maximize their impact. So let's get into solving the problems that might be plaguing your nonprofit. Thanks for joining us on Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Turner. Good to have you with us today. Today is going to be what you call a positive conversation, really upbeat. You're going to love this because there's a good chance that other nonprofits around your state and the country share your mission, right? I mean, there's a lot of them. Let's face it, need knows no boundaries. And in many cities across the country and around the world, you'll find nonprofit organizations that feed the hungry, shelter the homeless, protect animals and wildlife, support the arts, and so on and so on. So for today's podcast, we're going to look at ways that you might be able to join forces for the greater good in those that you serve. Let's take, for example, a food pantry. Your successes and trials are easily documented, but are your situations unique? If you feed the hungry in one county, there's a good chance that the food pantry in the next county or a few counties away goes through the same trials that yours does. Have you thought about collaborating? Maybe yes, maybe no, I know. You might want to look at the other guys as competition, but the positive side of reality in this says that you both are serving a community that is in need. So maybe you should join forces. To discuss collaboration and how it can be a success for your nonprofit is our guest, Jason Roa. Jason is president and CEO of Avow Hospice, a nonprofit provider of hospice, palliative care, and grief support services. Jason has a long, distinguished career in the nonprofit world. He holds a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in both health administration and corporate finance. And following a conversation that he and I had last week, I can promise you, like I said at the beginning of the show, This is going to be a great discussion and very positive and uplifting. Jason, welcome to Impactability today. Thanks, Joe. I'm happy to be here with you. So, Jason, let's set this up by first talking about a day in the life of a president and CEO of a nonprofit. Every day is the same. Every day is different. Jason, what's your day like? You know, over the past two years during the pandemic, I would say every day has been unique. And and certainly, I think the way that we've framed it is we have our our normal job, which is running the operations of uh, not-for-profit, and in our case here, uh, as you mentioned, hospice and palliative medicine, as well as grief support and loss services and all the other programs that we offer to the community. And then really recently, it has been uh, responding to the pandemic and responding to all the different waves of COVID. But essentially, it's it's my job uh, to make sure that we're fulfilling our mission. And our mission includes serving all the different patients and clients and children that come under our care and just making sure that all of our staff and volunteers have the right resources and support they need from both myself, the rest of our executive team, and of course, our board of directors, so that they can execute that mission uh, each and every day without compromise. So tell us about this collaboration that you formed with other palliative care facilities in your region. How did it all come about? Probably much like other different types of organizations around the country, our paradigm is shifting. And as insurance companies are, are starting to become larger, and not only are providing insurance to patients and, and, and different individuals, 
they're also starting to become providers of care. And so our whole landscape in terms of hospice and palliative medicine is, is starting to change. And so for a while now, I had a, an idea, and it's not a unique idea. I know others in under, other industries, as well as even in hospice and palliative medicine, have had similar ideas which was there, there had to be a way where a vow could come together with other organizations that are not our competitors and not only to share best practices, but have some sort of formal relationship where we could have collective bargaining or collaboration when we're going out to these insurance firms, whether it's for pilot projects with hospice or pilot projects or models of care with palliative medicine or even other types of care that's being provided to patients in their home. Knowing that we serve Southwest Florida and specifically Collier County, and knowing that there's perhaps other programs doing very similar work to us, where if we could speak with a unified voice when we are negotiating for products and services, whether we're negotiating on contracts uh, with insurers, if we did it with the unified voice and, and put together not only our collective geographies, but also our collective size, the impact could be much better for our patients and families and all that we serve, uh, not just by sheer economies of scale, but also, again, by all those best practices that I, I referenced initially. Something you said when we talked earlier has stuck with me, and I'm going to quote you. You said, preserving our mission and adding the collective power. Is it that simple? You know, I think to a certain degree, as anything can be simple in this day and age, it, it really is. And, and our goal was exactly that. Avow has a long storied history providing mission-centered, not-for-profit hospice care. And of course, over the past uh, 20 years, we've expanded the different programs and services that we offer, as have the other uh, collaborators that are part of our, our model that we've built. And so it really was about that, preserving how we provide care to this community by partnering with other organizations and other communities that are doing uh, very similar, if not the same work, and thereby ensuring that the community-based type of care and mission-driven care that we provide can continue on even as things are being driven on a larger scale to a statewide level, or even with different vendor partners that we have, if they can negotiate on a statewide level as opposed to a per county level, it makes things a lot more efficient and easier for them. And so that, that's really what, what drove it. And to your point, it was all about preserving our mission and our focus on our community by partnering with other organizations and other communities doing the same thing. So with our unified voice, we can still offer the value of having a large geography without diminishing uh, what we're trying to do for our community that we're providing the care for. When we were talking before, we used the example of the widget. Say you pay a dollar for every widget that you have to buy, but when you combine your resources, the widgets are less. Are you finding that to be true? Is that really how this is working out for you? Um, so far, the answer is yes. And of course, we're, we're a fairly new collaborative organization, but uh, the response from some of our, our vendor partners uh, has already been that they are looking forward to working with kind of the collective group. And we're already starting to see that we are going to be able to reduce some of our expenses through kind of this group purchasing. And of course, group purchasing is not a new thing, but I think in the way that we're doing it, 
and approaching the existing relationships we have uh, with our different vendor partners, if we can reduce that expense rate by 1% through this collaborative, that's huge for us. So wherever we can save a little, that'll enable us to put more back into programs and services and, and focus on our, on our mission-centered work uh, and, and providing those resources to the communities we serve. Which is what this collaboration is all about, and that's what it's helping you do. Yes. Several months ago, I was part of a nonprofit town hall meeting where many of the nonprofits in attendance said that collaboration would be great for them and that they would welcome it. And it all sounded great. But the question was, who makes the first step and how? So I'll ask you that. You know, it really comes down to working with people that you know, like, and trust. And if you know them, that's kind of the first step in the hurdle. And then really being able to trust them and trust that you have the same focus. And it's not a merger or it's not an acquisition. It's a true collaboration. And that's how we kind of went down this path. And we're all equal stakeholders in it. And so there isn't one voice that's louder than another. Everybody has an equal say in what the organization is trying to accomplish. We don't compete with each other, which certainly helps in terms of having open, honest conversations. And ultimately, because we are almost very similar, if not identical in some aspects of the way that our business models are set up, that also helped. And, and so... It kind of worked out for us and it's worked out so far, uh, but it really begins with trusting those that you're trying to collaborate with before you form uh, kind of a, um, an organization as we did. You're listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders podcast. And coming up in a little bit, we're going to have another Coach's Corner segment. Stay tuned for that right now. Talking to Jason Roa, basically about collaboration. And in our discussion, it all sounds good. It sounds wonderful. And on paper, makes total sense. So, Jason, what am I missing? So it sounds great, but it was not a, an easy lift, I will say. Uh, we spent a probably almost um, close to 18 months working on this concept, working with legal, uh, working with our audit and tax firms to figure out how we could do this, not only legally, uh, but also to make sure that there weren't any other issues that we were not thinking about. And so uh, what I would say to other organizations, uh, no matter what the industry or mission-centered work may be, it's not easy. And, and I guess what I would say is it's as easy as it is hard. And the easy step is finding other people that are willing to do it. The hard process then is coming up with what structure will work with that specific type of mission-driven work. And then subsequent to that, actually putting together all of the documents and in, in, in working with counsel to make certain that what your, your vision was can actually come to fruition in, in a, a legal way uh, that's compliant with whatever the industry requirements may be that are the subject of the collaboration. And so that's probably the piece that a lot of people don't realize is just the amount of hours that go into putting together a collaborative group or a collaborative network uh, just to make sure that all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. There certainly will be growing pains, but at the same point in time, having people that are focused and rowing in the same direction and know that the end result will be worth it for whoever the recipients of the mission-driven work are is really what we focused on the whole time and, and other not-for-profits can focus on as well. Now, you say growing pains, it makes me think of conflict because people can't always agree on everything. So how do you deal with that? Yeah, and I think our, our growing pains weren't any conflict between our group. Um, I think the growing pains were trying to figure out 
uh, some of the logistics of, of the how and, and how it was going to work and how we were going to, I'll give you one example, where was the mailing address going to be? So our four organizations that form this are spread out all over the state of Florida. So that was one of the things where we had to figure out, okay, well, what's the mailing address? Where is it going to be? How long is it going to be there? Nothing that was insurmountable. Again, if you have people that have the same goal in mind, any of the, the quote unquote growing pains are, are certainly things that will come up and, and working together is how we were able to get through any of the different challenges that we faced uh, prior to incorporating the new organization. And what I've said to my colleagues and peers who've asked me about our collaborative, it is, although nothing's ever going to be perfect, as long as you have great partners, as I do, they will be as perfect as they can be. And ultimately, again, if, if everybody believes in what the end goal is, uh, it's much easier to get there. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this, Jason. Are there any state or federal laws that might prohibit collaboration? There, there are. And so certainly there are antitrust laws, both at a state level and a federal level. We paid close attention to that. And I think it will differ depending on the type of uh, not-for-profit organization and any other type of regulations that they may face. But I would certainly encourage any other uh, not-for-profits that are thinking about going down this to just take a good look at, at if, if they have any federal regulations that dictate how they provide programs and services what the state regulations are, or even in some cases, depending on the county or municipality, there may be other factors to consider. Uh, With us, the main concern was primarily federal and state. And that's why I said having good legal counsel uh, in early on in the discussions, I think helped us perhaps avoid any any sort of precarious position later on, uh, because we are fully compliant with uh, federal and state laws with regard to our collaborative model. And, and that, is a, that is a consideration. Yeah, good advice. This still might be sounding too good to be true for some of our listeners, or maybe too easy, but I think we can all admit it, it sounds like a great idea. So we're going to take a short break right now. When we come back, we'll discuss some strategies that nonprofits can set up thinking about collaboration. We'll also talk about some ideas to get the ball rolling for your nonprofit. You are listening to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm Joe Turner, your host, and we'll be right back. Major gifts are the ultimate source of funding for nonprofits. They can help fulfill your mission and achieve your vision. Having a strong major gifts program should be a priority, but where do you begin? The best place to start is with Sukup Strategic Solutions. We create transformational change by working collaboratively to raise funds. Our fundraising consultants will assess your organization's fundraising capacity and develop a plan that serves as a blueprint for your fundraising success. Visit our website today at SukupStrategicSolutions.com and schedule a free consultation today. That's S-O-U-K-U-P, SukupStrategicSolutions.com. When it comes to major gifts, the effort you put in can make all the difference, and Sukup Strategic Solutions can help. Welcome back to Impactability, the Nonprofit Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Turner, and as I mentioned, we've got another edition of Coach's Corner coming up in just a few minutes. We'll see what kind of questions that you've sent that our coaches are going to answer in just a few minutes. Right now, though, we're speaking with our guest, Jason Roa, about collaboration, how it could really change your nonprofit for the better, and how teaming up makes sense. Jason, you've told us how this plan all came about with your hospice and palliative care facility and your peer facilities that you collaborate with. 
Tell us some specifics on how this has been a game changer for the better for yours and the other organizations. Well, Joe, as, as I said earlier, I think that the game changer is being able to really utilize and leverage our combined geography and our combined size to get not only a group purchasing opportunities that we would not be able to get as individual organizations, but also to be able to negotiate as a group on a much larger scale than we would not have been able to as individual organizations. And, you know, obviously Florida is a very geographically diverse and spread out county, or I should say state, with counties that vary in terms of size, not only in terms of physical size, but also as far as how many people live in them. And so some of our collaborators have very densely populated counties that they serve, uh, whereas at the same point in time, they have some counties where there's more cows than people that are in them. And so we took all that into consideration and, and really wanted to make a path of least resistance for all of our programs and future collaborators when they come on board. And, and not necessarily to say that it's it's a turnkey to help them in terms of all of their vendor relationships, uh, but it certainly helps out. And again, as I mentioned earlier, for us in, in, in our specific mission-centered work or industry, so to speak, uh, we, we want to be able to show that we do have the not only geographical coverage, uh, but also the quality of care. And so that's probably another key element that we haven't chatted about yet, which is selecting partners that also have the same quality commitment um, that we have here at Avow. And, and all of our collaborators in, in our model do have that. And we believe in the mission-centered work, but also have the results to prove that. And so that that's the other piece of it as well, where we're not only going to be able to bring value uh, to insurers or to payers, as we call them, when we're providing the different models of care that we provide, but we also can provide quality. And that's the other goal behind all of this is picking partners that you know, like, and trust who do have quality programs serving whatever the mission-centered work it is. And in our case, it's hospice and palliative medicine. But I think the same would be true for whatever. I know earlier you mentioned food pantries or other type of not-for-profits. Collaboration becomes a lot easier when you know that the other organization or organizations you're working with have the same commitment to quality that you do. Great point. Let me ask you this. How do donors feel about this idea? Well, so far, it's been a positive reception um, and we were lucky to get some good press coverage on it and, and cover what we're trying to do. But I think donors appreciate the fact that like-minded, like-kind, like-quality organizations are willing to work together for the benefit of, again, the recipients of the mission-centered work. And so we've had a positive response from our donors because they understand that this is certainly not a merger or acquisition, but this is a true collaboration that benefits all the patients and families and children that we serve each and every year, not only here locally, but on a state level without diminishing our organization whatsoever. And so we, we've seen a very positive response from our donors. And I think probably the comment that we, we've received from a number of them is, how come more not-for-profits are, are not doing this? And, and specifically, many of our donors donate to a number of charities. And, and their question has been, I don't understand why more don't try and figure out a way to work together like this. In terms of what you're doing, Jason, is there a textbook for setting up a collaboration like this? Or are you just kind of inventing this as you go along? Yeah, there, there really isn't. And, and I think, um, as I mentioned earlier, we look to other organizations to have tried doing something similar 
in other parts of the country and actually talk with some of those leaders to find out what worked, what didn't. But because every not-for-profit is so unique, and I think, Joe, you know, when we've talked previously, what I've said to you about hospice is when you've seen one hospice, you've seen one hospice. And so because the programs and services that we offer uh, in many cases are unique, it, it's hard to come up with a uniform model where this will work across any industry. And it's challenging because every not-for-profit and every type of uh, client or mission that they have even if it's the same, is still somewhat unique because of the programs and services that they have. And so there isn't a one size fits all necessarily, other than just knowing that if there are like-minded organizations who have a like-kind quality and very similar mission, that makes it a lot easier. And so it might might have been difficult if we tried pulling in a completely different type of not-for-profits in our collaborative, and, and that probably wouldn't have worked. So if they're doing the same type of mission-centered work, and again, the organizations have a very similar dedication to that mission, uh, that's probably the first step and the first hurdle. But no, there, there isn't a one-size-fits-all, and there, there certainly isn't a, a turnkey book or anything like that that can help. I think it's really going to be driven by each type of specific not-for-profit. What advice can you offer the other nonprofits that are listening to our program today about exploring collaboration in their own mission? You know, I would certainly encourage them to reach out and it doesn't matter what type of not-for-profit it is. Generally, you're going to know all of your peers, at least in a, in a certain geography, if not even on a national level. And again, there's probably a lot of these informal collaborations that are already happening where people pick up the phone and just have a question about something, or they might have seen a press release from a, a like-kind organization about a program or service, and they think, wow, I could probably do that at my program, and they reach out about those things. And so I think to a certain extent, a lot of this uh, informal collaboration is already happening, and probably the advice would be try and take the next step and figure out if there is a way where you could formalize it, whether it's with an, an agreement between two organizations, or even if they're thinking on a larger scale like we did, which is uh, forming an organization to help with that collaboration, uh, whether it's negotiations with suppliers, vendors, partners, or even if it's organizations who, again, have contracts with the government, contracts with insurance companies, or other types of contracts where coming together and, and negotiating on a larger scale would be beneficial. And so the advice would be reach out to those that do very similar work and see if there is a way that this could work in your specific mission-centered work, whatever you're doing and whatever type of clients that you're serving. If anything, at least start the dialogue, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, even if it's not a contiguous geography, there may be opportunities to work with somebody in a different part of the state, because again, you're, you're utilizing similar resources or services. And so there still might be that opportunity for collaboration, even if it's kind of more of a, a disparate geography that's spread out. I think most not-for-profits might have the ability to do something very similar. This has been such a positive and enlightening conversation today, Jason. I mean, it really makes a lot of sense. And I'm just, I'm just thinking about how powerful things could be if more nonprofits tried to join forces to serve their constituents. And it really looks good, at least in my mind, 
So I'm hoping that other nonprofits who are listening will take the time to email us about similar collaborations that they're doing or let us know about setting up such collaborations based on this conversation today. I'm really hoping that we've been able to generate some thought and, and some other nonprofits out there will start thinking about collaborating. Jason, continued success to you. Keep in touch with us. Let us know how things are going. And thank you so much for being with us today on Impactability. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. Time now for another edition of Coach's Corner. This is where we take the questions that you send us and we ask our impact coaches for their answers. Now, the questions that you send us, please send them, keep sending them, impactcoaches at impactability.net. They could be about anything. Maybe you need another opinion. Maybe you need us to solve a problem for you. That's what Coach's Corner is all about. So today's impact coach is Christine Rayhill. Christine, this is a really good question. So listen closely. This is from Lynn Bowen, early childhood advocate. She writes, how can we engage board members in fundraising when their previous role was that of ensuring compliance with regulations? Very good question. Now on Coach's Corner, Christine, you only have five minutes to answer the question and your five minutes begins right now. Well, thank you for the great question, Joe. It's an important question because the role of the nonprofit board is not only to provide governance and strategic direction, but resource development is a crucial component of board service. Board members each make a commitment to provide the organization with the resources it needs to thrive and fundraising is a major part of that. A culture of enthusiasm for board fundraising is important to provide the organization with the resources it needs to pursue its mission. Now, this doesn't necessarily always mean asking for donations. If the organization is large enough to have a development professional, then the board may focus primarily on governance issues and assist the development team with introductions and personal contributions. But for smaller nonprofits, The board's network and fundraising efforts are much more crucial to the organization's bottom line. So that's why it's important to set clear expectations for board fundraising from the outset. The board member job description should make board fundraising responsibilities clear. It's important to communicate fundraising expectations during board recruitment interviews for new board members. And some organizations even ask their board members to sign a board member expectation agreement that includes the conflict of interest policy along with their fundraising commitment. And it's also important to review board fundraising expectations periodically along with other assigned duties. Now, contrary to popular belief, fundraising can be learned and it can be fun. There are no innate fundraising skills that people are born with Everyone has learned them at some point along the way. Having said that, it's absolutely essential to provide the board with fundraising training, even for those who've had prior experience. And there are many ways that a board can participate in fundraising. Of course, they're expected to make a personal donation and should have a clearly stated give or get policy for all board members. Board members can also make important introductions to their business and personal contacts. And there may be other opportunities to educate community members on the importance of a mission through speaking opportunities or mission tours. But before any board fundraising efforts get underway, it's important to spend some time crafting a quality case statement. A case statement spells out what the nonprofit does with the funds raised for the mission 
and what its biggest goals for the future are. Then once the board members are armed with the case statement, it's important to set a fundraising goal and a method to track it, to share progress along the way and motivate the individuals on the board. An experienced fundraising professional can help the board set the fundraising goal, the timeline and steps necessary to reach the goal. And there are many fundraising database platforms that development professionals utilize to help manage donors, find potential engagement opportunities and keep track of who last engaged with each person. These platforms also provide fundraising reports that can be evaluated by the board of directors as it measures its progress towards its fundraising goals and eventually celebrate together when they're reached. So I hope this has given your audience some insight into the role of board members with fundraising, Joe. And most importantly, I, I want everyone to know that fundraising can be fun and very rewarding experience with the right training and support. Great stuff, Christine. Thanks. You know, we, we've got a minute here. Um, let me ask you this. If one of your board members is more of a technician and not really a fundraiser, how do you, how do you get them into that fundraising mode a little bit? Yes, Joe, that does happen sometimes. My advice would be to find a way to ignite their passion for your cause. Find out what makes them dedicated to the cause. Got to tap into their emotions a little. Mm -hmm. why, why is being on the board meaningful to them? Why did they want to join the board? And what do they want to accomplish by being on the board? Right. That kind of thing. Once you've tapped into that, it should help light the fire for them to learn more about fundraising. Passion is everything. You are so right, Christine. Thank you. And thanks to Lynn Bowen, Early Childhood Advocate. Thank you. Thank you for sending us your question. Great question. Keep them coming, folks. We want to hear from you. We want your questions here on Coach's Corner. And again, Christine, thank you for being our Impact Coach today. My pleasure, Joe. Thank you. If you've got a question for Coach's Corner, we want to hear from you. Email them to us at impactcoaches at impactability.net. Again, that's impactcoaches at impactability.net. And if you want to reach me, my email address is joe.turner at impactability.net. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and that way you'll get new episodes downloaded just as soon as they come out. Also, please give us a review or a rating so that your peers in the nonprofit industry can find us as well. I'm Joe Turner. Thanks for listening, and thank you for all you do to make the world a better place through your nonprofit.